Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Well, good morning, radio listeners, and I might just uh, correct the uh, lead-in and say this is Ayer on the Road in the singular, but let me tell you what, Linda has a great excuse. We had a we had a good plan today. She's in London with our youngest daughter, Charity, our baby as we call her, and our baby just had a baby. Her first child, we were so excited and we didn't want Linda to miss the show. In fact, she thought, what a great thing, we'll just Skype in from London and I'll be out here in, in our home and Linda will be on from London and we'll just be in baby waiting mode and we'll just have a great old talk, ours on the road. But this morning when I woke up at 7 a.m., I took a look on my uh, on my phone instantly because, you know, this was actually Charity's due date. Actually, tomorrow is her due date. So I turned on the phone and looked on there and it's one of those things, you know, sometimes when you when you get worrisome news and you get it late and by the time you get it, the worry, the cause for worry is over. That's like the very best way to, to receive worrisome news. And that's exactly what happened when I finally turned the phone on. There was a text at 4 a.m. my time, our time, and it said uh, Charity's in labor. Um, the baby seems to be in a little distress. It looks like they'll have to do a cesarean. Well, if you knew Charity, that was her worst nightmare. She is all about natural childbirth. She's all about having a doula and a midwife and keeping doctors of arm's length. She likes to talk about how, why in the world do we even go to hospitals to have babies? I mean, we're not sick. This is a natural thing. Why don't we do it in a natural way? And I'm just giving you the tip of the iceberg, believe me. I mean, she is a natural childbirth, uh, childbirth uh, guru. And so I, I, you know, I read that text first. And if I had been awake at four in the morning and read that text when it came in, I would have been fretting and worrying uh, right along with the best of them. But in this case, it was 7 a.m. And so I, I just looked down the text and at uh, six o'clock came an even more worrisome one that said, they're taking. They're preparing her for anesthesia. They've given her a, a an epidural. They're they're wheeling her down for surgery. Keep your fingers crossed. Pray hard. Sorry, it has to be a C-section. And and so then, you know, I'm glad I wasn't up at six in the morning. And then there come a text in just at six fifty, ten minutes before I woke up. And it's one of those texts you love to get. It said. Baby here, everyone fine, no C-section. And I was so glad. So I, I wish it could always happen that way. I wish the worrisome things in our family or our life that turn out okay, it would be really nice if we, you know, heard about them after the fact. And then we wouldn't have to worry. You know, it's a little like, it's a little like uh, uh, maybe some of you have done this. Uh, you, you lose your cell phone, but you don't realize you've lost it. Someone finds it, returns it to you, and you realize at the same moment that you lost it and that it's been found by an honest person and you've got it back. So it's like, wow, didn't even have to worry about that one. So that's kind of my experience for, for this morning. Um, our producer, a great guy at BYU Radio named Cole, 
is attempting to reach out to Linda by Skype and see if he can get her on the line for the second half of this show. It would be great to, to get her on and let her uh, share the news. But um, I don't think that's going to happen because if I know Linda, she is really, really into this. And she's at the hospital and she's with Charity, and she's with the new little baby boy. I don't even know the weight yet or the length. Oh, and by the way, listeners, I just realized I may have made a huge error by even divulging that the baby's here because, oh dear, I'm going to have to pledge you all to secrecy. Um, Knowing Charity, she's the kind who wants to send that out privately to her family members before anyone else knows, oh, boy, did I just blow it. Hey, so listen, this will show you how much we trust our listeners on Hires on the Road. Don't tell a soul. If you know any members of our family, do not tell them that you know that the baby is here. (laughs) Oh, dear. I am so excited. I just completely blew it. So I've got to bring you into my confidence just Don't tell anyone. If you're listening, I I don't think any of our kids are listening because they're all in the process of traveling to to Bear Lake for our family reunion. So I think I may dodge a bullet here. I don't think any of them know. Um, Please, don't tell a soul. Keep it between us. I'm not going to talk anymore about it. Pretend, Pretend I didn't say a thing. You didn't hear that. You did not hear that. But I'm glad I told you, as long as the word doesn't get out. Now, let's shift. I mean, let's stay on that subject for a minute. But let's, um, I mean, the subject printed on on Iris on the Road for today is absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I do have some things I really want to say about that. But before I do, let's just take a little trip down memory lane. Because when you're having a day when a baby comes into the world... Isn't it an amazing day? I mean, I want all of you to think back to the times when you had your children or when you had your grandchildren. Just think with me a little and remember what an amazing feeling that is. Um, In in our case, our first child uh, was born um, in between my two years in graduate school in Boston. Uh, I was in a two-year MBA program at Harvard, and during the summer between those two years, Linda and I, who'd been married a year, came back to Utah for an internship. I was working at the research park that was just getting started at the University of Utah, and it was during that summer, that first summer of our marriage, that our first daughter was born, Saren. I wanted to name her Serendipity, and Linda said, no, the kids will call her Dippity, and so we shortened it to Saren, but some of you may know that Serendipity is popularly defined as a happy accident, and that, in a way, is what Saren was, although not entirely, but we thought it was a good name for her. And here's the great thing about that first birth. It happened on our first anniversary. What a... What an anniversary present to have your first child bang on your first anniversary. So believe me, we've, it's, it's done wonders for me because I've never forgotten her birthday and I've never forgotten our anniversary. So it's served a wonderful purpose. 
But I just remember that so well. I remember the awe. I bet I bet that's the feeling a lot of you have thinking back on your first child. Is just the awe. I mean, you you can't be prepared for it. You think it's going to be wonderful, and you think a lot about it in most cases, and you probably take childbirth classes and. If you're the, the the expectant mom, you probably take uh, breathing classes and Lamaze classes and and so on. We didn't know about doulas. Doulas are a recent discovery for us, and, and they're more prevalent in Europe and, and in the East Coast than they are in the West part of the United States. But a doula is not like a midwife. A midwife is there to take care of the baby for those who prefer natural childbirth. And, and uh, of course, doctors can do natural childbirth, too. But uh, midwives, that's all they do. But a doula is not there for the baby. A doula is there for the mom. A doula is the coach for the mom. The doula is only worried about the mom. How is she feeling? What's she experiencing? How can she be coached? And they are wonderful. And Charity apparently found a fantastic one. We'll tell you more about that doula on another show since it's a secret subject right now, as all of you know. But uh, I just, I will never forget that first birth. And, and by the way, this is going back far enough. And this is hard to imagine for many parents today. This is back to a time when they usually did not allow the father to be in the delivery room at all. And they didn't on this birth. And, and I was out in the waiting room. I mean, I was just a, again, that's some of the things that our daughters don't like. It's like someone in the waiting room was as though, you know, they're waiting for a patient who's who's sick or who's having a serious operation of some kind. And there I was. And um, so what I remember, my first memory is going into that room and seeing that little child and, and the awe A-W-E in capital letters that spread through my mind and my heart as I looked at that perfect little human being and realized that was actually my daughter. And I I didn't get over it for for a couple of days. I mean, I walked around on a cloud. I was was in a different world. It was like nothing else matters. There, There are no disappointments. There are no, who cares about what I'm doing at work? Who cares about what, uh, is going on in the stock market. Who cares about anything? It's just so amazing, so wonderful, so so full of awe. That's the only word that, that described it. But it didn't end there. In fact, I want to tell you, just when I'm thinking about it, the birth of our second daughter was very, very different. Sarah and our first was born in the in the summertime. It was a fairly controlled delivery, although Linda goes really fast. But, uh, you know, it was close to home where I'd grown up. We were here for the summer, as I said. When Shawnee came along, our second daughter, it was very different. We lived in Washington, D.C. by then. We we lived in a suburb called McLean, Virginia. And uh, Linda by now knew that her labors were really fast. And so we tried to be prepared. We had the the little bag ready to go, the overnight bag. We had uh, everything laid out, and, and we were ready at, at any moment. And and what happened is that uh, Linda went suddenly into labor, and her water broke, and, and she knew from the experience with the first one that we didn't have very long to get to the hospital. And we were about 30 minutes away, even without traffic, from the Alexandria Hospital. And so, excuse me, the Arlington, no, I think... 
uh, I'm going to say, yes, it was Alexandria Hospital. And so we jumped in the car, and it was an old car we had, an old Ford uh, Galaxy. And we uh, we just stepped on it. And uh, Linda was Linda was getting more and more frantic. I mean, you see this from a dad's standpoint. I can't appreciate what Linda was going through. And she's like, Rick, you got to stop the car. You got to stop the car. I'm having the baby. The baby's coming. You're going to have to deliver this baby. And and my reaction to that was not to stop the car. My reaction was to step on the gas. And I remembered, and I'm not kidding you, and I'm not proud of this because it was probably a horribly dangerous thing to do. But I looked down at the speedometer. That old Ford was going 120 miles an hour around the beltway getting to this hospital we got there. I pulled into the, the emergency room, jumped out of the car, and said, "This woman, my wife, is having a baby." And I got to hand it to them; they acted fast. They they were on it. They wheeled Linda away, and sure enough, she had that baby five minutes after she had entered that hospital. And it was a close call. I'll tell you. I often joke that. Uh, when I got the bill, there was a charge for the delivery room, and I objected to it because she was born out on the lawn in front of the hospital. And so I sent the bill back in, and they returned it, and the charge was still on there, but they'd crossed off delivery room, and they'd written greens fee. Just kidding on that part. But you get the idea. It was a crazy time. But what I want to tell you before we go to break is that I remember driving home that night in the middle of the winter, freezing cold, with both my windows wide open, and just singing at the top of my lungs. I was so overjoyed because the feeling of awe was there again, but also the feeling of relief that we'd made it to the hospital in time and that the baby had been born and all was well. Let's take a brief break. I'll be back in a minute. Maybe Linda will join us from London on Ayers on the Road. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And uh, I was going to say we're back, but I'm sorry to say I'm going to have to say I'm back. And really, there wasn't a very realistic expectation that we'd get Linda on the line from London. Cole, our good producer, has been trying to reach her, but... But this event that I mentioned in the first part of the show only happened a couple of hours ago, so you really couldn't expect this new new mom or new grandma to be too interested in Skyping right at the moment. But I hope you enjoyed the first part. I did. I love going down memory lane. I love thinking about the birth of children. You know, there's that old phrase you hear that there are no atheists in foxholes referring to the fact that when you're in a crisis, you, you, you probably are someone that prays even if you never pray otherwise. But I, on a more positive sense of the same thing, uh, honestly, I don't think there's very many atheists in, in delivery rooms of hospitals because to see a baby emerge into the world and take that first breath and and begin life on this planet is is a, it's, it's a spiritual experience. I believe it's a spiritual experience for everyone, even for those who, who don't profess a belief in a, in a God or in a divine being. I think something happens. I think, 
I've certainly heard people who say they're non-believers use the term awe, that key word we were using in the, earlier in the show, to describe the feeling they have. And so it's an, it's an amazing thing. Um, the birth of babies, what what a thing. And And does it diminish when you're a grandparent? I don't think so. I think in a way it almost magnifies because you you sense more the power of it you you have more perspective you you see it in a way that maybe is more nuanced and and uh with more awareness so it's a fabulous thing and i promise you listeners i make you a promise uh, if you promise me not to let out that i i jumped the gun and made an announcement on the first part of this show i shouldn't have keep that between us we have a mighty massive collective secret among us fellow uh, radio listeners but my promise to you is next week we will have linda on the line she's going to be there for another eight or nine days being with with this new arrival and so we will fill you in on lots of the details i witnessed from linda next week on Irons on the road that's my promise to you in return for your promise to keep it between us for a few hours. Now, the title of the show today, before we knew what a momentous day it would be, is an interesting phrase that we've all used and we've all heard, absence makes makes the heart grow fonder. Do you think that's true? Do you believe that? Is that a is that just an old cliche that some lovesick person made up when he was missing his one and only? Or is it is it really true? Is there some factual um, proof and evidence and and experience to the idea that absence makes the heart grow fonder. I'm here to tell you, I think think it's true. I think it's legitimate. Linda left uh, last Monday, so it's been, uh, it's only been uh, six days. But I'm telling you, that's a long six days for me. And, you know, I'm not pitying myself. She's the one that She's got her feet to the fire back there doing doing her duty as a grandma. But I think absence does make the heart grow fonder. I, I almost think, and this, this, I'm not really suggesting this, but uh, if you're kind of taking your marriage for granted, if you're just kind of, well, it's okay some days and it's not so good other days, and you know, it's getting boring now and then, you know, maybe... Uh, and this happens to a lot of us in the regular course of events, but a couple of days doesn't do it for me. Two, three days if I'm on a business trip or something, it's just par for the course. But you get up to six days without your partner, without the person you love most of anyone on this earth, it begins to work on you a little bit. And, and this whole absence makes the heart grow fonder comes into play. I've thought of things in the last few hours and a couple of days about Linda that I haven't appreciated for years. I just think of them because I'm missing them. And something will remind me around the house or, or, you know, I'll just just realize these little ways, little things that you appreciate about your spouse that you probably were taking for granted. So maybe that's not a bad, I'm not suggesting separate vacations or anything like that, but I am saying Absence really does kind of make you your heart grow fonder. A lot of you have experienced that with your own children. Um, you know, as long as they're with you every day, underfoot, 
responsibility, duty, getting them places, taking care of them, worrying about them. You know, that's one scenario. But then they go off to college or they head out on a mission. And suddenly, isn't it amazing how, oh, my goodness, I love that son or that daughter. I, 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 I guess I knew I did, but I didn't feel it to the degree that I do right now. That 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 son or daughter of mine, that child of mine is gone, and I'm missing that person. And, and that missing really truly makes the heart grow fonder. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think it's it's obviously a good thing. Anything that increases your love, anything that makes you feel, you know, more profoundly aware of of what you have is a great thing. And and that it's sort of tied into a bigger subject. Um you know this this thing, it's another little phrase, it's a little cliche we use, but Boy, there's a lot of hidden meaning in it when it comes to family. And, and the phrase is, take things for granted, taking it for granted. I take you for granted. I take this for granted. Um, you know, we don't usually think of that as a terrible thing. I mean, it's just a human tendency, right? You take things for granted. That's what people do. But I'd like to suggest to you that maybe maybe that is a serious thing thing to think about and to work on, because taking something for granted, you could argue, is the exact opposite of thankfulness. It's the exact opposite of gratitude, because the minute you take something for granted, you you lose the gratitude. It's not there anymore. The appreciation's gone. The awareness of how important that person is or that thing is or that situation is sort of flies out of there. And there are actually scriptures about that. There's a favorite scripture of mine that says, in, in only two things do we offend God. One is to fail to keep his commandments, and two is to fail to acknowledge his hand in all things. In other words, to be grateful, to be aware, to be um, to, to have a paradigm of, of thankfulness, to have an, uh, let's, let's do one that rhymes, an attitude of gratitude. When you have that... What happens? Well, you're confessing God's hand in all things because gratitude requires an object, right? You're not just grateful to to the ethos. You're you're grateful to someone, and that's what leads a lot of people to God and to a belief in the divine. And so, and so, if it displeases God to not confess His hand in all things, then by by definition, it must please God to be grateful. And it not only pleases God, it brings happiness. In fact, some of you are aware of a, of a book that uh, uh, that Linda and I did, a Thanksgiving book, and it's called The Thankful Heart. And the cover quote on it says, says I think, a meaningful thing. It says, um, gratitude is not a pathway to happiness. Gratitude is happiness in its simplest and most definable form. In other words... If you're grateful, you're happy. If you're feeling gratitude at a particular moment, you're also feeling happiness. And there are always things around us to be grateful for, unless, and here comes the bugaboo, the danger, unless we take them for granted. And the minute we take them for granted, then away goes the gratitude, and away goes the confessing of God's hand. So do you see how the two are related? You know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I'm missing Linda right now. 
Uh, we all miss our loved ones when they leave or when they're gone for an extended period. Sometimes we miss them right away when they're gone for a short period. And that, my, my supposition to you is that's a good thing. That's a very good thing because it fights against this human tendency to take things for granted. And, and taking things for granted sort of saps away the intensity of feeling, saps away the happiness, saps away the, the perspective of gratitude. So, so it's a good thing. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm rationalizing. Maybe I'm doing that because I got another eight days to miss Linda and I'm saying, well, that's good. You know, that's good. Uh, the more I, the more I miss her, the more absence makes the heart grow fonder, the more I will, you know, feel gratitude. But it is a, it's a true fact. Um, now, what do you do about it? I mean, how do you, in the absence of someone being absent, uh, you know, how, how do you make the heart grow fonder without the absence? How do you, summon up gratitude even when you know there's no particular urgency to feel it how do you have the same intensity of feeling about a good thing that you do about a bad thing now see there's another thing that's related if if you have an illness or if you have an accident or something and you're feeling oh i'm so sad this happened i'm so and you feel a lot of intensity of emotion and worry and concern and being troubled and then you say to yourself, what if that hadn't happened? I'd just be going along. I, w- I wouldn't be feeling the intensity of joy. But sometimes you say, you know, if I could just undo this, if I could just not have had this accident or this illness, think how happy I'd feel. Think how joyful I would feel. But in fact, you probably wouldn't because you'd be back uh, to that sort of taking things for granted. Another old cliche that sort of ties in. There's nothing so exhilarating as being shot at and missed. In other words, if you're shot at and someone misses you, you're real grateful. But if no one shoots at you, you're not going around saying, I'm so great, I'm so happy today and grateful that nobody shot at me. And so again, my question that I want to try to end with is how do we summon that feeling of gratitude that holds at bay the taking for granted, even when there's not a crisis? How do we summon the fondness even when there's not an absence? And I want to end with this suggestion to you. You summon it through prayer. When we kneel down and when we begin to rehearse to God the things we're thankful for, we begin to enumerate them, we begin to say we're grateful for them, we begin to express gratitude. That is how you summon these feelings. And in other words, you don't need a crisis or an absence to summon gratitude. You have the capacity and the power to summon it yourself through real, earnest gratitude prayer. So ask yourself this question of self-examination. When you pray, how is your prayer balanced between being grateful and saying thanks and asking for things? I'm afraid most of us do more asking in our prayers than we do thanking. And I'm going to suggest to you today that we should turn that around. More gratitude, longer rehearsal of the things we're grateful for, more consciousness of our blessings, even when times are good and there's no crisis and no absence. I think if we do that, we'll all be happier people. I can't wait to have Linda back and to talk to you together next week on Ayers on the Road. Thanks for listening. <laughs>